this morning to the third in this series on the world, the flesh and the devil, which means we come to the devil. Um, I'm going to read to you the temptation of Jesus from Matthew 4, all right? Jesus had just been baptized in the River Jordan. The Holy Spirit came upon him there. He was clearly anointed as the Messiah by the Spirit of God. And the voice of the Father came from heaven, which, which uh, affirmed him, this is my beloved Son. When Jesus was then led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, at the end of that time he was hungry. Now the, dem- the tempter came to him and he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him and angels came and ministered to Jesus. Satan, which is a Hebrew word, Satan, and the Greek just transliterates that as Satan or Satanus, simply means an adversary, adversary, an opponent. And he is a fallen angel, indeed a fallen archangel, one of the chief angels of God. Before God made the material creation, he made the host of heaven, the heavenly armies. And the angels of God, called the sons of God in that sense, rejoiced when God made the world, we read in Job. Job. But then, after the creation account, the, weeks of, the week of creation, Satan appears in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden, deceiving Eve and leading Adam and Eve into rebellion against the Lord. How did he get there? What was he doing there? Now, the rabbinical tradition, and uh, I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but it's interesting, this is the Jewish tradition, is that when God made man, the angels were informed that they would now serve man as God's son and prince the ruler of the world, and that Satan led the rebellion against that very command. Scripture seems to point to one-third of the angelic host joining Satan's rebellion against the Most High and being thrown down from heaven into the earth. What we do know from Scripture is that on day six of creation week, everything God made was good. And on day seven, God rested in all that he'd made because it was good. But on a day sometime after that week, Satan is seen tempting Adam and Eve, and they too become rebels against the Most High. And Satan's rebellion fall after creation week is used as an analogy in prophecies dealing with human rulers in Isaiah 13 to 14, Jeremiah 50 to 51, and Ezekiel 27 to 28. They are being compared to Satan, who was originally called Lucifer, a person of light, in his pride and rebellion. His pride is their pride, and his fall will be their fall. His name is Satan, the devil, the dragon, the evil one, the angel of the bottomless pit, the prince of, the, of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, Apollyon, Abaddon, Belial, Beelzebub. All right, there's a different names for him, and even Satan is a description rather than a name. He doesn't have horns, doesn't look like a goat, and doesn't smell of sulfur. He may appear at times, take on some sort of form, 
And he's dead. if he does so, it's to impress or terrorize those he wishes to. But he's not a physical being. He's a fallen, powerful angel. And Satan is most dangerous not when he's showing off, but when he's deceiving. Paul warns us that Satan falsely presents himself as an angel of light. So be careful around those who claim angelic revelations. And that some of those who present themselves as apostles and prophets and servants of righteousness are actually his servants, 2 Corinthians 11. The devil can attack the very core of human beings in society while wearing an appearance of goodness, compassion, and reason. It's as subtle as that. And he's the devil of hell only in that he's destined to eternal punishment on a lake of fire by the judgment of God. He does not now operate out of hell. That's a mythology, not Bible Bible teaching. He's in this world, moving freely around this world. Satan and his forces get blamed for more than they actually have a direct hand in. People blame the devil for stuff. You know, the Simpsons think the devil made me do it. The world and the flesh affect us too. We're dealing with a full mix of these things. But we are engaged in the battle against evil forces, against powers of darkness. Our minds are attacked. Our lives are at times in danger. And great deceptions run through the world and infect and infest our societies. We tend, because the scriptures also tend to do this, to call all demonic activity the devil. There are, however, many demonic personalities whose leader is the devil. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brothers... Sisters included, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, just mere human activity, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. The world and the flesh in themselves are real enemies to the Christian. But this third enemy force, the powers of darkness, take hold of the first two and weaponize them against us. That is one of the things that can be seen in the account of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Jesus appealed to Jesus' hunger, to uh, the things that he was going to accomplish on earth and proposed other ways of achieving it. Jesus tells us about the character of Satan. He tells us he's a liar, a deceiver, a thief, a murderer, and a destroyer. John 8 and John 10. That's his character. And his main battleground with us is the battle of the mind, both in us as individuals and in human societies. His main attacks are inwardly fear, deception, doubt, and accusation. Then if he can... If God allows it, he will attack us outwardly, robbery, violence, murder, and so on. The core battlefield and conflict is, the, is within us, in our hearts and mind. In human society, the work of the enemy is to steer the mindset of the world to godlessness, and therefore confusion and chaos. In that part of Ephesians where Paul writes about the armor of God, he pictures the evil one firing fiery darts at us, which we must quench with the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. These darts are words, thoughts, imaginations, fears, deceptions, doubts, accusations. Therefore, the Lord says repeatedly, again and again in Scripture, fear not, see to it that you're not deceived. Take a stand against these thoughts. Don't be afraid. Don't be deceived. We can't foresee or prevent all events that come to us. 
But we can and should be on constant watch that we do not become fearful. We don't accept it. We don't allow ourselves to be deceived, to allow doubt or accusation to gain ground within us. How do we resist and overcome such a powerful opponent full of malice towards us, full of guile and master deceiver? Well, here's the, the battle plan. Sorry. Here's the battle plan. That's, I put it down as action plan. Bro. No, this is a battle plan. This is what I see in scriptures. Just some points. I've laid them out, I hope, in some of this memorable as an R and an S to remember in each case. But there you go. First, remember and rejoice that our Savior has conquered. Remember and then rejoice. People would say that praise and thanksgiving is the main, armor, main weapon of our warfare. I don't think it is, but it is part of it. We have a Satan, an adversary, but we have a far greater Savior, our advocate. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember, firstly, what Jesus has done. At the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. Jesus at the cross defeated the powers of darkness, the devil himself. What is Jesus doing now? He is destroying all the works of the devil. Look at what he's promised, what Jesus promised to us. When the 70 returned with joy, because it's Jesus sent them out on mission, he said, they said to him, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw the big deal happen. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in God and Christ your Savior. Remember, Jesus has conquered. He is our Savior. Rejoice in him. Boast in him. The second one is this, rest. Now that may sound very odd to you, but I'm talking about submitting to the Lord. That is exactly what James and Peter both teach in their letters. That to resist and overcome the devil starts with submitting ourselves to God. Both James and Peter quote this scripture from the Old Testament. The Lord says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then James goes on, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You resist the devil having submitted yourself entirely before God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, heart, your hearts, you double-minded. Paul, uh, James, Peter, sorry, says, be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility, be God, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, listen to this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And then he goes on, as we'll look in a few moments, to resist the devil. It's the same principle that James is pre- preaching. Now, why would that be so? Why do we submit ourselves to God, humble ourselves before him, and th- so that we then resist the devil? Because, think about this, how did the devil become the devil? Well, one older reformer, Thomas More, said uh, he called him the proud spirit. The proud spirit. If we're right in saying that those passages in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are comparing human rulers with Satan, then pride came before Satan's fall. 
As I said last week, pride was the primeval, primordial sin and continues to be the primary sin. When we deal with pride in ourselves by submitting ourselves to God, the proud spirit can't manipulate us through pride. Paul wrote to Timothy that an elder overseer must be not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Satan was proud and would not submit to the authority of the Most High. He then led man into the same rebellion and sin. When we fight pride and submit ourselves to God, we are being decidedly undevilish. So that is the start of how we overcome. To rest ourselves in God. It's not about energy. It's not about, about fuss. It's not about, about how, how, how angry you get. Submit yourself to the Lord. And then thirdly, resist, stand firm in the faith. So here's the next bit of 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Now remember, Peter's already said, submit yourselves to God, same as James is saying. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Devil puts on a show, tries to scare you. Like, you know, when you jump out and frighten kiddies. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. And remember this, you are not alone. This is happening to to, to, to other believers elsewhere in the world. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that you're not not alone in your trials and temptations. God, it, it, it happened to other brothers and sisters too. The thoughts that come that tell you no one goes through what you're going through that you are worse than others, that your case is hopeless, that you might as well give up, there's no help for you. Those are all lies. Are they not? Yes, they're all lies. God is faithful. He will bring you through every trial. We have armour and weapons. And while there isn't time at all this morning to go into the armour of God and all of them things there, let me just focus on what they are. We're dealing with the attacks, the accusations, interventions, interruptions of our enemy. His fiery darts that he throws at us, fires at us, are to be stopped through faith, the word of God, and prayer. The very end of the passage on the, the, the uh, armor of God says, and pray, uh, take up the helmet of salvation, sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, what being watchful to this end, with all perseverance supplication for all the saints. It seems to me that Ephesians 6 isn't finished talking about the armor of God when it starts to talk about prayer. It just doesn't, prayer doesn't have an analogy. It would be very hard to think of prayer as an analogy. Every day of our lives we're supposed to be praying something like that pattern prayer of the Lord Jesus where, you know, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it goes on to, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're, we're aware we're in a battle and we're praying for his help. Our Father's help. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Remember, rejoice. Resist. Sorry, rest first in God. Submit yourself to God. Resist. Stand firm. Stand up. Give no ground. Now, one more step to come. But first of all, I have to reject a step that some people would commonly suggest they hold it and practice it. It's this one. Rebuke the devil. 
Over the years, I've heard people rebuking and reviling the devil and demons, yelling at the devil or demons. We rebuke you, or I rebuke you, even giving out a, a stream of bad-mouthing, of name-calling. Did you know the Bible tells us not to do that? I remember being in a, my first prayer meeting when I was at Bible College, and someone took a 10-minute lecture at the devil in real quite strong language, and I thought, well, do you, this, this is the way I'm supposed to pray? Yes, at times Jesus rebuked demons and storms and diseases and his disciples. And the same word, rebuke, is used in all those cases. When the Lord said to Satan in the wilderness, away with you, Satan, it was a rebuke and a dismissal. But Jesus said the same thing to Peter too. When Peter was telling Jesus to stop talking about going to the cross, he used the same language. But did you know that Scripture tells us not to rebuke or revile Satan? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every world will be established. Well, here's the three witnesses. Zechariah 3. In Zechariah 3, the Lord rebukes Satan as he accuses Joshua the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Messiah. So Jesus is standing there in this prophecy. And Satan was standing at the right hand of Joshua the high priest to oppose him and accuse him. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, Messiah Jesus, said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the burning? Then Jude tells us that rebuking is what false teachers and prophets do. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, and here he tells us about an event we don't read in the Old Testament, about Moses, being, Moses when he died, the devil contending over the body of Moses. It seems that God preserved his body perhaps. Michael the archangel contending with the devil when he, the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against the devil a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these, these false teachers, false prophets, speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. And Peter makes a matching comment in 2 Peter about those who walk according to the flesh in lusts of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Well, who are the dignitaries? Look at the next verse. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Three times over in scripture we are said, don't do it. Don't, go, don't get into this name-calling, rebuking thing with the powers of darkness. That's not where the authority lies. That's not how it's done. We must treat even a fallen angel with some respect for his being an authority, yet without fear. Don't rebuke or revile, but do this. Refute. Refute. Speak the truth in faith. Look again. Think back. I know I've gone a few minutes now. Think back to what Jesus did in the wilderness. Satan came to him and said, why don't you turn the, bread, why don't you turn the stones into bread? And Jesus refuted him. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that seeds from the mouth of God. He refuted him by quoting scripture. Satan said, said to him, 
Uh, why don't you throw yourself down? You know, and then he twisted scripture because he'll give his charge over you, angels' charge. They, you, unless you cast your foot against the stone, you're not going to hurt yourself because the Bible says so. And Jesus refuted him with scripture. And then finally he says, okay, he knew that Jesus is the king of the world. Do you know that? But he said, I'll give it to you an easy way. I'll, I'll hand it over to you an easy way. You just bow down and worship me. Jesus again replies from scripture, you shall not bow down to anyone but serve and worship the Lord your God. Jesus did not just go, no, not doing it. He refuted the argument. He responded with scripture and broke down, resisted by a counterattack with scripture. Now I'm going to show you the scripture. And for once I'm using the ESV because it gets the word right here in, uh, in, in this little verse of scripture. Lots of people will know this scripture. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. To refute is to reply, to respond, to overcome. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Notice that. Words that are thrown at us, we reply to with words. We don't just reject them, refuse them. We refute them. You cannot lie, just lie around. You can't defer a response to deception because those things work like rot, like mold. They grow and spread. Stand against and speak against the thoughts and ideas that come to you from darkness. Listen to this scripture, Revelation 12, 11. Okay, I've jumped back into verse 9 and 10 to give you some more phrases there. They overcame him, and him refers to previous verses, the great dragon, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, the accuser of our brethren. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. They overcame him by something they said. Now, in my lifetime, Christians have used the word testimony to mean their personal story of conversion, of God's continuing goodness in life. But that is not how John uses the word testimony in Revelation. It means testimony to the name of Jesus, to the gospel, to God's word, to God's truth. We overcome these attacks, these thoughts, these deceptions, these, these despairing feelings by speaking out the name of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, and particular relevant scriptures, God's word. We refute the lies of the enemy by declaring the truth. And it's good to say it, not just to think it, to put the words in out there. You know? So you find the scripture or you've written it down or you've memorized it somewhere and you say it out loud. I don't mean shout it. Um, my police might come around to find about why there's a dispute in your household. <laughs> if you raise your voice too much. Besides which, it's not your anger that does the, does the thing. It's the authority of God's word. It's the authority of truth. You may worry about whether that thought came from Satan or from something else with inside you. Stop wasting time and energy. Stop analysing the issue. Deal with thoughts. Don't worry about where they came from. Deal with any thought that will not help you to stand but actually puts you down as an enemy and refute it. Answer back. Don't just say no. Bring a countercharge. No, because the Lord says, I will stand on the truth of God. Now, to do this, we need to know the truth. We need to know scriptures. So laziness in reading our Bibles will ill-prepare us for this battle to refute the thoughts and words that come against us. 
Memorize that scripture. Memorize some of the words of Jesus, statements of faith from the epistles, even the Apostles' Creed, or even the Lord's Prayer. Something that will give you something to reply. And say those words in reply and refutation to the deceptions of the enemy. We're overcomers in Jesus. We're overcomers in Jesus. The Lord Jesus calls us, wants us to be overcomers. In the last pages of the Bible, that word is regularly repeated, starting in the letters of John and right through Revelation. In 1 John 2, I write you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. They're not even, you know, very long in years and mature in the faith. They're just still little children, young men, sorry, but they've overcome the wicked one and repeats it in the next verse. 1 John 4, verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world as well as the enemy. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The call to overcome, though, is not just for the individual Christian. The battle we feel within ourselves, and that's where we learn to deal with these things firstly, perhaps. But the battle is common. Our brothers and sisters near to us are in going through the same things. And there's a battle going on in society, in the world around us. We are overcomers in Jesus. Being watchful to this end with prayer, perseverance and supplication for all the saints, Ephesians 6, verse 18. The whole armor of God passage is not addressed to just me as an individual. It's addressed to the church as a company of God's children, as is most of the Bible. Most of these scriptures are corporate. We inherit them together. We work with them together. We encourage one another with them. We need comrades in this war, helping one another, encouraging and challenging one another, praying for one another. Jesus faced Satan alone. We don't have to. We have the Lord, we have the Spirit, we have Scripture, and we have one another. Now, I think there's far more to say another day on this matter, that we're to stand together. But we do are overcomers in Jesus together. Overcomers in Jesus together. Are you in the battle? Are you aware of this conflict? Don't imagine you must wrestle in your own strength against the devil. This is not the wrestling match. Take up this action plan, this uh, battle plan. Today, take captive those thoughts that put you on the floor rather than on your feet. That have you sitting and moping rather than standing and fighting. Answer those lies. Whatever they are and wherever you thought they came from, answer them with statements of truth. But firstly, submit yourself to the Lord, rejoice in his salvation, and then deal with it. Deal with the thought. Take it captive is another scripture we haven't got time to look at today. Engage with others around you to build one another up, to pray and to support one another, to recognize we're not alone. We're in this. We're all encountering the same trial. Let me finish with a scripture from 1 John 5 verse 19. We know that we're of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal
God calls us to eternal life through Jesus. Let's pray and then we're going to break bread together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. You draw us through your son to yourself. And we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We give you thanks that Jesus is our saviour, our redeemer, our advocate. We thank you that the Holy Spirit has come to be our helper, our equipper, our energising presence of God with us, amongst us. We pray that we may, Lord, take hold of all you supply to us and and be armoured to get through, to not be overtaken, but rather to overcome, to not be cast down, but be picked up, to not be those who are rocked off our feet, but are standing firm, even in the most difficult day. And we, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll take us beyond seeing this merely as an individual, internal thing. So we see that this is a common ground we are all in. We're fighting on the same battlefield. And then that we learn to have a mentality of, of battle and, and, and of pressing back and of refuting the lies of the devil that causes us to become something more like an army of God that we see that there's a battle to be fought in this world, in this land, for truth, for righteousness. Lord, gear us up. Make us, like it says in the Song of Songs, terrible as an army with banners. That Jesus' name might be honoured through his church in the world. Amen. Amen.